Five. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places a dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed Episode 324 is recorded live April 20th, 2017. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just great, Darren. Thank you. And we also have Kevin Ailes. How are you doing today, Kevin? I'm doing excellent, Darren. How about yourself? I am doing wonderful. It's it's nice to be back. It seems like it's been so long, and I think part of it is because it has been. Uh, it just just been one of those rough stretches. We had... Uh, uh, since we last broadcast, I had a robotics competition up in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and it had been far too long since I had been up there. And that was that is beautiful country, uh, and and they only had a little bit of snow. It wasn't it wasn't too terrible. Got to cross the the old Mackinac Bridge there, and it uh, looked like most of the ice uh, was starting to break up. And by now, which that was three weeks ago, it, it's probably pretty clear. Yeah, we've had some days pushing 80 down here i'm sure it's been warm enough up there so it's gotta be pretty clear of the ice and uh, just to give everybody a quick uh, update on uh, the robotics team that's what i was off doing is we had the uh, robotics competition at lake superior state university and of the 40 teams there our team along with the other two in the alliance ended up coming on top so uh, the team ended up winning the event uh, which got congratulations way to go Thank you. The kids did an amazing job, and uh, had they had a blast doing it. We always have more fun when you, you win. But uh, the one thing you have to say for the Upper Peninsula is just how uh, friendly the people are. And then uh, la- the week after that, we were supposed to have an episode, and uh, Mother Nature wasn't on our side and, and took out the power for quite a few in Berrien County. I don't know, did, did uh, you, know, you two are just outside the, the danger district, but did you experience anything in that storm? Oh, we had some flicker, but never really lost anything. Yeah, it, we were out just over 24 hours. So we, we lost power on the, about 2 or 3 in the afternoon, and then didn't come back until about 4 or 5 the next evening. Uh, yeah, there's been quite a few people losing power in the last few weeks. Uh, mine could here and there. Uh, I, some pump decided to die, even though power was on, but uh, no one else uh, had that issue but me. me. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, the robotics team, after the uh, we had that storm where we didn't record, and then it was the state competition last week, which a team did very well in that. Uh, 160 teams in attendance. They divide them up into four divisions of 40 teams each. They ended up being uh, number three in their division, which qualified them for uh, the playoffs and unfortunately got eliminated fairly early on, but it was enough to qualify for Worlds, which will be next week. So the robotics team will be hand, heading down to St. Louis, Missouri for their final regular season competition uh, with about 470 other teams in uh, the United States, uh, Netherlands, uh, France, and all over the world. There's the, they've, the world competition got so big they split it up. 
So I don't know if it's like a half a world competition, but uh, some teams are going down to Houston this week and the other half are going to St. Louis next week. So what you're telling us is there will be no podcast next week, correct? Next week, no, unless uh, we can figure out some way of recording something early and just uh, editing it, posting it up. But I would plan on there will be no live recording next Thursday. Okay. Just so our people know, good to go. But uh, that should be it for a while, at least at least on my front. Uh, I think that's the last of my conflicts, hopefully, for quite a while. Uh, but I'd like to thank everybody who's who's turned back, uh, tuned back in after three weeks. And uh, what a difference three weeks makes. Boy, this weather, we had uh, 70, 80-degree weather, it feels like. It's probably not 80, but it just it, after you go through a winter, it sure feels that way. It's been nice, but tomorrow's going to be, what, a high of 50 maybe? Yeah, but it sounds like the water's warming up pretty good. Yeah, I, I my wife was just asking because our air conditioner went out uh, beginning of last year. So uh, we're kind of betting it's going to be a hot one, so that's on my... Uh, to-do list is to get an air conditioner put in. Either that or just go diving more. I would... Yeah. <laughs> well, you could just hang hang the uh, dive gear to dry in the house, and she would want to hang on the house anyway. To, <laughs> yeah, that'll dry her Yeah, exactly. Nothing like the smell of fresh neoprene in the morning. Oh, it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Works for me. But maybe not so much for her. So. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have uh, Dave Toneman. We have Eric... We have S. Nelson, so thanks for, for tuning in. We certainly appreciate it. Also like to give a shout-out to all our Patreon supporters who have, who have been out there. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. We have uh, a couple of articles. This first one is more of the nature side of things, immature spinner dolphin calves. They're saying that uh, they don't come inherently with a scuba system. They said that just uh, because they're dolphins, uh, they don't have some of the abilities the adults do. Uh, it can take between one and three years for oxygen-carrying capacity in whales and dolphins to mature. This is according to Sean Noren of the University of California, Santa Cruz. They said it explains the muscles of fully developed diving species, including dolphins, whales, birds, and seals, contain more of the oxygen-carrying protein myoglobulin. Oh, I, I slaughtered that. That's uh, myoglobulin. Why I trying to add an L in there? Globin, myoglobin. That land-based animals are better prepared to neutralize lactic acid produced in the muscles when divers switch to anaerobic respiration after exhausting their oxygen towards the end of the dive. We wonder if pelagic offshore living promotes rapid postnatal maturation of muscle biochemistry. Do you think he talks like that all the time? <laughs> Said Norin. I hope not. <laughs> in other words. Might deep-diving, ocean-going whales and dolphins develop large reserves of myoglobulin? I, I keep adding a letter in there. Uh, an ability to buffer muscles against acid earlier in life than species that remain in shallow coastal waters. And they go on. So. Now, I'm curious. When he talks about deep divers uh, dissolving myoglobin to get the oxygen out, are you talking about diving as far as deep-diving dolphins or deep-diving scuba divers? He's talking about deep diving scuba, not scuba divers, uh, dolphins. Uh, but what he, yeah, was, but he, he was saying is that because this particular species of dolphin is is well known for their deep diving, he, they were expecting that right off the bat these dolphins would have some innate ability to do that. And uh, mm -hmm. when they look at the feeding habits of these dolphins, uh, the calves along with the parents will go down and they say that this is why sometimes they have 
uh, fatalities with the young dolphins is because they haven't, they don't have the capacity that they will as they get older. Uh, and it makes you wonder, is part of that capacity natural or is part of the capacity something that the, the dolphins develop, you know, kind of like a free diver does uh, by just through behavior and exercise and conditioning uh, that they get this. So it's like the body uh, somehow knows uh, that it needs to develop these abilities to be successful. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like when they're saying that they're not seeing any, you know, inherent abilities in the young ones, that uh, it looks like they're implying that with the dolphins it is something which they learn over time. Yeah. And they go... I mean, they, they, don't, they don't come out and say that, but you read between yeah. the lines, that's what they're implying here, so... Yeah, they say, so So, ocean-going do- spinner dolphin calves do not develop the physical characteristics that are essential to sustain deep dives any faster than shallow-diving coastal species such as the bottlenose dolphin. However, younger spinner dolphins already have high concentrations of muscle myoglobulin. Uh, that coastal bottlenose dolphins at the same age, and the adult spinner dolphins uh, match those that had been measured previously for other champion divers, including short-finned pilot whales and... Gervais beaked whales, but the implications might be relatively slow development of their diving apparatus have younger spinner dolphins in the eastern tropic Pacific, knowing that tuna pursine pers- oh, fisheries of this region specifically target dolphin pods. They pursue the animals to exhaustion before encircling them in enormous nets to capture the tuna shoals that reside beneath. Cool. So, if you want, we'll have that in our show notes, which uh, Jim Billings has done an excellent job of keeping up to date. Uh, and the article was by, uh, is retained on physics, P-H-Y-S dot org. And then how's this for, I guess this is a good day. I was going to say it's a rough day, but when you survive when something like this happens, a driver, a diver trapped in underwater cave for 60 hours thought he'd never be found. A Spanish scuba diver whose tank malfunction emerged with rescuers from an underwater cave in the island of Malorca after spending 60 hours trapped in an air pocket when his diving partner went for help. This is uh, report, originally reported by the BBC. I have a feeling that five days had passed, so I thought my friend had not been able to leave the cave to ask for help and that they would never find me. This is according to Zisco Garcia. Garcia and Gillem Mascaro. We're exploring underwater cave in the Spanish island located in the Mediterranean on Saturday around noon when things went horribly wrong. They were 130 feet deep and about 2,950 feet from the entrance when Garcia's tank stopped working. Fortunately, Garcia found an air pocket where he could wait while Mascaro summoned help, but that help didn't arrive until midnight on Monday. After so long breathing in air so charged with carbon dioxide, I sometimes saw things like lights or bubbles. I thought someone had come to rescue me, but when they did not move, I was discouraged, Garcia told uh, the newspaper. Garcia spent most of the time in total darkness, conserving his flashlight power to help him drink water from a lake. Unbeknownst to Garcia, Mascaro did manage to make his way out of the cave to summon help, but he did not know exactly where he left Garcia. The problem was getting there because the water was very cloudy. It was like diving in a bowl of cocoa. The speologist, a speleologist? must be like a spelunker, who spent a night in a hospital for observation before being released and described as one of the greatest specialists in submarine caves of the island, which might explain his prudent decision he and his diving partner made when Garcia's tank malfunctioned. They could have tried to stretch one diver's air, but surely would have been suicide that both would have died. 
yeah, Tottenham brings up the point because tanks just quit working. Maybe a, a free flow, or you know, kind of kind of vague to say the tank just quit working. Yeah, they're not real clear on that. Did he run out of air? Did he have? Uh, it's most likely a regulator more than a tank. I mean, the, the tank doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing that this is either a, an issue in the translation or just how regular media reports on diving accidents. I gotta wonder if he had any deco to go through after they finally got to him. Sixty hours underwater, and you know. It, they said he had a max depth of 130, but hopefully that's not where he uh, was when he ran out. And do they? They don't really say how big the air pocket was, but it had to be pretty big to survive 60 hours. I mean, that well, two and a half days. Well, he said he was breathing a fair amount of CO2 and you know borderline hallucinating, so he certainly was going through a lot of uh, you know CO2 toxicity. Mm-hmm. Well, the good thing is he made it out. So excellent. Congratulations to him, and I'm sure his family's relieved. And then this next one, I can't remember if I covered it before, or maybe it's just because I've heard uh, Max's version of the story. A scuba diver inadvertently disturbs human remains while searching for River Trevor. Trevor. Treasure. Scuba diving U.S. treasure hunter's squeals could be heard underwater when discovered a box containing a bag of cremated human remains. Deceased person's name... During a recent dive, YouTube personality Jake Kohler was a scuba diving with friends in Georgia when he stumbled across a small plastic box last month. He was diving for river treasure, but instead it came across a plastic bag filled with a deceased person's cremated remains. At first he didn't realize what it was, but when some ashes started to spill the bag, his screams could be heard on his forehead-mounted GoPro camera. The scuba diver repackaged the plastic bag in the box and took it to the surface with him. I stumbled upon him. I'm not too sure what to do, he said. I want to be respectful. I want to make sure to do the right way. So we're actually to call the police in a second. The dilemma for Mr. Kohler was his friends is whether to sprinkle the remains back in the water so future divers would not get the same shock or return to black box as it was. I think it's usual... Usually most people would just sprinkle remains in the water, but this is like everything in one box chucked out here. We really wanted to do it the most respectful way. Police advised YouTube personnel to return the remains in the water exactly as he found them. Mr. Kohler claimed the police officers remembered him from a previous incident in which he found a gun while scuba diving and reported to them. I wonder what the actual etiquette for this is, because I can't believe that somebody... Was, is this a case that the police didn't want to have to deal with it? I think so. Yeah, because you're Just not... Just put it back where you found it. Yeah, because I don't think you're really permitted to... I mean, it's one thing to sprinkle remains. What are they going to do? But to actually chuck the whole contents in the water? Yeah, but is it truly a body at that point once it's been cremated? I mean, it's it's ash. It's not like there's a... It's clearly not a crime scene. No, you know, or, no. You, know, you, <laughs> you're, you're rare, you rarely murder somebody, cremate them, and then put them in a black box. Uh, so that's... Well, it kind of reminds me, like, quite a few times when we're... Um, Diving down there in Niles, we found different containers we wondered about. I'm sure, you know, a few new divers have been told, hey, that's an urn, man. What's in it? (laughs) Would we tell them that? We have told them that. That's why they don't come back. (laughs) Well, Mac has uh, had the experience where he's talked a couple times about uh, coming across the remains. Mm Mm-hmm. But at that point, you know, it's it's kind of out there. And as as the same thing we say with when we're bottle hunting, 
hunting. There's no expectations that anything's going to be preserved. The same thing has to be the remains. If you're throwing in the river, uh, whatever condition, it's more of just your your personal beliefs as to how you treat them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They, they could have easily put the box back. Just put the box back out there. Tell their friends that hey, you know, Joe's over here. So leave the black box alone. I mean, I'm sure the people that dive that area probably know each other. It's not like it's a, a right. popular everyone diving there. Well, I'm thinking is this you couldn't how many times have we dove in the same spot and find something different each time? I'm I mean, you just kind of give everybody a heads up so when they see it, so when they pick it up and then go, "Oh, what's this black box?" in the back of their mind, but unless they've got beautiful visibility, it's more of going to be grubbing around and finding it. Mm-hmm. And then California Divers reporting that now he's relaunching its Try Scuba Passport Scuba Diver Program. The National Association of Underwater Instructors, NAWI Worldwide, has announced the revision and relaunch of its NAWI Passport Scuba Diver Program. NAWI Try Scuba Passport Scuba Diver Program's introductory scuba program making diving accessible and convenient for first-time divers. The Try Scuba portion of the program is designed to simply introduce new divers to scuba diving in a pool confined water upon successful completion of the passport scuba diver portion of the program a diver may continue to enjoy scuba diving under direct supervision the now instructor for up to 12 months engaging in such activities during the initial 12-month period automatically extends your passport for an additional 12 months the Naui passport program consists of three components the Naui passport scuba diver e-learning and academics Naui passport scuba diver confined water training Naui passport scuba diver open water training once all three components are completed, the diver's passport agreement is signed by the certifying instructor and a passport holder. Individuals ages 10 or older in good physical condition may enroll in NAWI Tri Scuba and Passport Diver Program. Individuals 8 and older may participate in the confined water portion of the program. NAWI Scuba, the NAWI Passport Scuba Diver Program is certified, meets ISO level supervised diver standards, making the NAWI Passport Scuba diver. Do you think that there's some marketing guy who says whenever you say this, you have to put these five words together? Uh, equivalent to an entry-level scuba diver certification programs of several other training agencies. While unique, the diver program isn't new. What do you think? I mean, this is this. What, what, what does the passport do for you? Well, that's what I'm trying to think. It's almost like it's, is it a light open water class? It, it says if you've. Uh, a diver making okay. So the portion of the program is to introduce new divers to scuba diving in a pool or confined water. Upon completing the portion, the passport scuba diver portion of the program, a diver may continue to enjoy scuba diving under direct supervision of a now instructor for up to twelve months. Engaging in such activity during the initial twelve-month period automatically extends your passport for additional twelve months. Is now a uh, advertiser? Um, I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot, a lot of uh, diving websites. You can send them a press release, and they'll go ahead and put them out. But it's very possible. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm wondering, is this kind of trying to extend like a discover diving that you might get, like what we call a resort course, where you go down to the tropics mm-hmm. and you sign up and you you spend you know, two hours in a classroom, then they, they take you out and you go do some, some diving. Is this just a way of ex- of trying to tie this together to get repeat business for uh, these uh, shops at diving destinations? I could see it going that route. Yeah, it, I... it, it, 
it would be nice to get those folks that you know do those short courses into the you know the regular dive community because you know generally they take those, those short quick courses and they don't dive anymore but they think they're a diver you know and mm-hmm. unless you've done a you know the real certification through a dive shop um you know you shouldn't think you're as a, a diver yeah uh dave in the chat room is saying it's the same as the patty scuba diver rating uh if someone gets in the water that much they need to just do the open water class which i completely agree uh Maybe it's the kind of they're trying to sneak them into the open water through the back door, so it's like a this it's like a partial open water class. Or wouldn't that be like a confined water class? Yeah, he says this is an extended discovered diving with more education involved. You know, if just a different way of slicing it. In fact, I had somebody today asking me about scuba diving, so maybe I can. I got somebody will get in diving here pretty soon. And then Richard Branson is opening. A new dive site. Get this article to load up here. On April 10th, weather permitting, Richard Branson will be cutting the ribbon for his latest endeavor, a historic naval ship turned scuba site off Mountain Point in Virgin Gorda, part of the British Virgin Islands. When it sinks in the Atlantic Ocean, the Kodiak Queen, one of the five surviving ships in the attack on Pearl Harbor, will officially become BVI Art Reef a man-made marine ecosystem and otherworldly dive site crowned by an 80-foot Kraken sculpture. Oh, I wondered what that was on the top there. It may be located near the billionaire's exclusive Necker Island estate, but Branson's new project is democratic as they come. For one thing, Virgin Atlantic will be shooting tourists into space for 250000 a pop. Visiting BVI Reef is free if you take it yourself. It's not meant to be a massive moneymaker at all. Proceeds coming through diving operators, a majority of whom charge $100 for single tank dives at other sites in the BVI. What's raised from local outfitters will be funneled to support various recreational or regional causes from marine preservation to social justice initiatives, boosting youth swimming education programs. At Bronson's multifaceted not-for-profit foundation, Unite BVI in one big picture goal. And they go on and talk about basically patting him on the back, but uh, that looks like quite a project to make that cracking on the top. Well, you know, I'm thinking that would be, like, really cool to take the new divers down to because you know, we kind of get a kick out of Lake 16, taking them down and showing them the little fake skeletons and kind of give it get a, you know, a bit of a thrill out of it. But, you know, take somebody fresh out of open water, drop down on that wreck, and they see this great big cracking looking at them, you know? Um <laughs> Scare the hell out of me, you know. <laughs> Look at that thing. That's well. At first, I thought that there was something that somebody had photoshopped stuff on there because it kind of, yeah, depending on yeah. which angle you look, it looked like some goo or something. Well, I'm thinking what it is is it's really kind of minimalist built, with the idea that you know algae and thing, things are oh, going to yes. collect on it. So once it's been down there for a little while, um, it's going to be all you know covered and coated in it might look halfway realistic yeah we're looking at it right now we're seeing it looks kind of like plastic covering some kind of a shell mm-hmm. um i can't imagine it was hold up to a stiff wind let alone current down there anytime but um you know hopefully they know, they know what they're doing so yeah i i think you're you've got it right there it's going to encrust up and and fill in and yeah even if it comes off it's still something interesting to to dive on so what would the Great Lakes version of this be? If we, we sunk a shipwreck, what would we have to fabricate on top of it? Aliens. Mm, I like that. 
you know, it could be aliens, or what you could do is we could do kind of a little Chicago twist. We could have mannequins oh, with their yeah. with their their feet in concrete. Yeah. See, you could, you could do that tie-in. I go for that. Let's see. What's our next one? Uh, now, you can imagine uh, the challenges with with towing a side scan sonar. You know, two or three hundred feet deep. How about this for a depth? Uh, Guinness has said the world record for the deepest shipwreck ever found is that of the World War II SS Rio Grande. Let's see, they give a depth. Uh, let's see, it was sunk uh, by two U.S. ships in the South Atlantic in early January 1944. It lies at a depth of 18,900 feet, more than three and a half miles below the surface. It was discovered in November 28, 1996, using side-scan sonar technology. Two days later, the company responsible for the fine blue water recoveries confirmed the wreckage using a remotely operated vehicle. What's it like to, to tow a tow fish that far down? How, what, what kind of equipment they're using? Do They don't have to get all the way down to the bottom, do they? Well, I, I don't know what kind of range they're going to have on this modern equipment. Um, you know, Generally, traditionally, people towing tow fish should try to keep it within about 100 feet off the bottom. But, you know, if they've got the ability to string out, you know, cable going three miles deep, you know, I couldn't even begin to guess at the specs on this baby. And it makes you wonder, is that really what they were looking for when they found it? Probably or, not. Yeah. You know, but then what are they looking for that deep anyway? I mean, it's, you know, most of the, what we use, well, what most of what is used for hunting shipwrecks today is uh, equipment originally designed for uh, oil companies. Mm-hmm. You know, they go and you know scan the bottom, looking for different types of topography, which indicates there might be you know natural gas or oil deposits down here. Deposits down here, and then you know if it looks good, they send they, they send out a geologist in a rig. Um, Eighteen thousand feet deep. Who's going to build a rig there? You know what were they doing out there? Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe they could. They tell you, but you might have to be sitting next to Jimmy Hoffa Hoff, if they told you why. Yeah. You could be the uh, have the concrete boots on deck of the ship. We think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, towing that deep. Yeah, I was really skeptical when I was. I'm, I'm still skeptical reading this here because I'm never heard of anyone finding anything anywhere near that deep side scanning. In fact, all it was like four years ago when they found those uh, Spanish fleet shipwrecks. Um, down in the Gulf, and uh, those were, I don't know, like several miles deep, and that was a big deal, huge deal. Um, I don't know. This just seems a little bit. I'm thinking more likely what we got here is that they had their side scan going through there, probably much further off the bottom to get any kind of decent resolution, and they saw a bump down there and said, oh, yeah, the SS Rio Grande was lost here. That bump's the Rio Grande. Now, are they actually able to identify it? I mean, yeah, that is just staggeringly deep. Although these folks do have some real fancy toys. You know, this, uh, you know, the multi-beam sonar, you know, basically paints a three-dimensional image of it. But then you're looking at toys with, you know, well into seven figures. That one might even be eight. Well, this next article we have up is a 5.6 underwater earthquake impacts a group of scuba divers. And uh, I just pasted it into Skype, the, the link, because my original one, I must have 
grabbed the wrong one for the notes. It says a group of scuba divers performed technical diving training in the Philippines on Saturday when they're impacted by an underwater earthquake measuring 5.6 in the Richter scale. Jean-Paul Rodriguez, who lives in Quez City in the Philippines, captured underwater video of the sea bottom trembling beneath them, along with a rising cloud of sand created by the earthquake that struck near the Mabini town of Batangaus province. The divers were 59 feet of water and planned to go as deep as 138 feet on the 20-minute exercise, but was cut short by the underwater earthquake. It felt like a huge propeller of a big boat turning directly above us, Rodriguez told the news. We heard underwater, the trembling of rocks under the ground, and we felt the shockwave. It hurt our ears. The seabed pumped up and down immediately, following by strong shaking of the ground and small rocks falling. As it turned out, there were two earthquakes, a 5.6 followed shortly thereafter by a 6.0. There were small cracks in buildings, blocks, roads because of landslides and a collapsed house but nobody was hurt hundreds of villagers fled to higher ground fearing a tsunami despite no threat of one as for the scuba divers the dive leader immediately aborted dive apparently before the second quake wow let me see i'm gonna take a peek at this have you had a chance to look at the video no i'm trying to get back in the chat i got booted out i'm guest seven now oh. <laughs> so i'm still trying to Wow, it's 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 it looks like Mac, well, we're following Mac on a uh, grubbing trip. Okay. The, the the whole bottom goes from where you can see it to where it just kind of gets uh, a misty, milky look to it. Imagine it, it, if you're in the water, you would get you would hear the the vibration, and they are geared, geared up for a tech dive though. Some nice doubles there. So that does it for scuba news. We ran through that pretty quick. Let's go ahead and talk about some diving. I have not even begun to get into the water, uh, all this robotic stuff, but I'm betting that uh, you and Jim are making up for it. Uh, when was your uh, last dive, Kevin? Um, I don't know. I've been diving out to Fort Custer quite a bit, trying to, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of stories about there being different uh, military vehicles out there, and took a side scan out there a couple Sundays in a row. Um, just running back and forth and researching the area, too. It's got a really cool history about you know, how the water level has changed with, with the different dams and impoundments they put out there. Um, I've scanned everything out there deeper than seven feet. Uh, less than seven feet is weed line, and the sonar doesn't go in there very well. Uh, found a, you know, a handful of small boats. Um, nothing as far as the big military vehicles we've been hearing about. Uh, you can I can see where... Uh, people have been diving out there, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, the side scan is delicate. I mean, I say side scan. It's it, it, it's a hummingbird. Um, right. You know, side, side imaging deal. It's not like I'm pulling a towable or anything out there, although the club does have a towable. Jim and, Jim and Mac put one together, which I've used from time to time. But uh, you can even see on the hummingbird where the, uh, the divers from the Wednesday night SAS dives will go down to the beach and they'll go to the... Uh, Oh, as you're facing the water, go to the right edge of the beach to go. And I can tell you guys, you kind of need to keep your fins off the bottom because I can see where it's all turned up, even on the side scan. <laughs> so I, well, well, you get sediment on the bottom of, of a lake, and it really creates it's, – it's a very soft sediment. And it creates a very uniform black bottom, which you're able to pick out you know, hard objects against. But then 
if someone goes down there and churns it up, then on the side scan you can see that too. You can tell their, uh, you know, that the, the bottom is not so uniform anymore. It has been disturbed just because now it has harder sediments mixed in with, with the softer muck that settles down. So, yeah, I, I can see where people have been going in down there. I can also tell you that uh, you guys like to go along the drop-off just out front of the beach, but you go a little further down to the end of the beach, closer to the, uh, oh, towards the boat ramp. There is a, there's a good-sized boat down there. I didn't dive it, but I could see on the side scan about 15 feet of water thereabouts. There's, um, I don't know, it's like maybe a canoe or something down there. Um, you know, there's a handful of them out there in that area, out there, you know, scattered around, you know, the entire lake. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I came across something on the side scan which looked a lot like a, the wing of an airplane. Oh. And there's a story about, a, about an airplane that went down out there, supposedly. And Mac and I were firing back a bunch of emails on, on this, wondering if it was, and my buddy Jason as well. And because, I mean, on that side scan, it really looked like the framework of an airplane. I mean, it really did. I mean, over the wing of an airplane. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I went back out there and, you know, buoyed it and dove it. No, just a great big beech tree. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how this, <laughs> I don't know how the side scan got, you know, airplane mixed up with beech tree, but no, that was me. <laughs> well, when you're looking at the, the graph on these things, uh, so often you see what you want to see, you know, right. uh, you know, it's kind of like the a great big continuous Rorschach in, ink blot test. You're looking at this, and that's a boat. You know, oh, you're looking at this, and that's an anchor. You know, you're looking at this, and there's an airplane. You know, you see what you want to see, but you know, you probably were just looking at hunks of clay or all kinds of junk down there. So who knows what? I don't know. Um, you know, most of my diving have been out there out there lately. Did take a group out to uh, Reeds Lake up in Grand Rapids. Um, Dove the uh, Hazel A up there last week. Uh, visibility was only four feet. Um, kind of got a project that I'm working with some people on, which we're going to talk about, you know, in a, in a future podcast. Don't want to give away all the all the details on it there, but uh, there's some really cool technology coming together with uh, shipwrecks, which I think you folks are going to really enjoy hearing about. It's it's really cool what people are doing. Well, actually, not. People, but people with lots of fancy letters behind their names are doing with GoPros on shipwrecks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to give you guys a lot of insight on that probably well, within about a month from now. You'll hear all about it. So um, Then all of next week, I'm going to be diving at White Star, um, getting my rebreather certification next week, if all goes well. Excellent. So, I'll be down to the White Star most of the, all, all of next week doing that. I apologize. I can't see the chat room right now. I got booted out, and I can't get back into it for anything right now. So I hope I'm not missing any comments or anything, but I cannot get into the chat for anything right now. So, But that's my diving. How about you, Jim? Had to come off mute. <laughs> okay. Uh, did a one dive. Well, let's see. Got out to Lake 16 a couple weeks ago on a Sunday. That was my first shakeout of the season. And then went out to Paul Paul last Thursday. And didn't get in tonight. Had to come home and work on some of the shoes, but uh, hopefully get out next week. Excellent. Well, like I said, I haven't I haven't gotten in the water, but as soon as we get through this robotic stuff, I'm going to try and make up for some lost time. Now, Kevin, you you mentioned you have been talking to Mac. 
it seemed like years ago on the podcast we were talking about uh, Fort Custer, and there had been an effort to go through and clean up a lot of what was on the bottom. I, I think they were specifically looking for uh, ordinances that had been uh, left in the bottom. So I'm wondering if that might be some of the, the churning that you're seeing uh, would be. Yeah, I, that, that ordinance quittering, though, I want to say that was, you know, done back before it was a park uh, quite a while back. You know, o- overall, the bottom, when you get past the weed line out there, is extremely, you know, you know flat and uniform, um, you know, reflects very, very consistently. But I'm just saying, just that area that's, uh, you know, going out to the beach as you go out to the right edge of the beach facing the water, you know, where that walk, that's a concrete walkway. I can tell the divers are going out there and I can see, you know, tracks and kick up marks. Well, just basically the bottom is, you know, looks like someone ran a tiller through it, uh, going out to about 20 feet and then it kind of, it kind of bends around going down towards the boat lamp, you know, and on the, on the drop off edge of the beach there. And then it kind of peters out and, you know, goes every which way from there. Um, I don't know, it's kind of weird when you guys are out there diving again. If you work your way around towards the dam instead of going towards the boat ramp, there is like a, a weird-looking little house thing in the water. Couldn't quite figure what that was. I did post some pictures on my Facebook about it. Uh, is that near the dam? It's not as far as the dam, no. It's actually kind of almost to the, like, the, the, the point there. I want to say if you leave the beach and go to the right, probably about 600 feet down the down the waterline in the shallows, there's like three walls sitting there, and they got windows in them. And I don't know if it's the remnants of an old camper or hmm. like an ice shanty, but ice shanties don't usually have windows in them. It definitely has windows in it. It's kind of weird, you know, right up against right up against the shoreline. And that's an area where before the dam was put in, that would have been out of the water. So it's possible it might have been a building sitting there before they flooded it because they put the dam in there back about 1983, I want to say. Um, I don't know. There's some maps I came up with that uh, show the you know, kind of the evolution of the, of the area for the aerial shots going back from like 1936 all the way up to present time, broken up about every 10 years plus or minus. And uh, you can see when, when they built the dam how much that water that, that water changed out there. Um, but yeah, you're right. As far as there being a plane out there, it may have been pulled up in that ordinance hunt out there. Um, you know, the landmarks for where the plane crashed don't jive with the time frame. So I'm kind of skeptical, you know, um, you know, I've scanned it quite a bit. I can tell you that there's, there, there are, there's nothing bigger than a car out there because I, Anything that even looked like an, interest, like an interesting boat, I dove out there. And uh, lots of picnic tables. <laughs> lots of picnic tables out there. Hey, we need to picnic um, tables in the surface. Yeah, I don't know. And actually, some of the ones I saw were different style than uh, what the park uses today. The park today has, like, the, the wooden planks with the, the metal bars holding together. These ones were completely all wooden. Oh, so the, the the old style where it was like they took logs and then milled them to the end to kind of lash together a picnic table? Kind of, kind of, yeah. Um, you know, there, there were a number of that style out there. Um, well, you know, I, it, it could have been, you know, you get a, people partake a little bit of the uh, alcohol and, hey, I wonder if this, it's a wooden table, it floats. Maybe we'll go fishing. Yeah, or maybe they put them out on the ice. 
you know, and they oh. get they end up going across the lake on the ice. But I don't know some of these things are all long, long, long ways from the boat ramp or from the the park. So, you know, pretty dedicated miscreants. Yeah, I was trying to do, just, a, do a quick search, see if I could find anything, and I'm getting some hits, uh, but they're scanned newspapers, so it's going to take a little bit more time. I was just hoping maybe we'd be able to double check on, you know, some of that. It seems like if if there was something in there that somebody would have something reported. Well, I did get another report out there. Um, Rob Knoll gave me some more ideas of where there might be something out there. Um uh, I'm going to investigate that, and I'll get back to you about it. But uh, I don't know. I look at the timeline of the flooding out there; it doesn't quite jive. But you know, hey, what what underwater does make sense, you know? <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> but uh, you know, and, uh, I mean, you, know, it's, you don't mean the train, do you? I was thinking something about about the UFO. No, I thought maybe you're talking about the train. You you've heard about a train out there? Uh, only a few reports. Okay. Nothing worth pursuing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, people people talk quite a bit. You know, um, I can tell you there are quite a few fish down there. Uh, talking to people who who have dove out there quite a bit, namely, um, you know, Rob Noel and, and Mac, they have seen quite a few smaller objects out there than, than I'm going to see on the on the scanner. Um, yeah, Eric talks about carp out there. Uh, I can tell you in the shallows there are a lot of carp. Um, <laughs> And I'm getting the boat stuck in a shallow bay, all full of carp. That was entertaining. So, don't know how a boat can, the deep V boat, but I'm in like a foot of water, hung up, can't go anywhere, except with the dry suit on, to get out and push. You know, I go over the side to push and end up up to my ribs in the muck, yet it's firm enough so the boat couldn't get through it. So, go figure that out. Every lake has a train or a crane, according to Dave Toneman. Yeah, or or Corey to match anyway. So. Yeah, I, I I think within a five miles of here, it's it either has to be a train or it has to be a Model T. And don't forget the horse slice wagons. Oh yes. Well, they were gathering ice, and the wagon crashed through. They saved the horse, or they didn't save the horse. Anyhow. Well, you got to realize that if a horse goes through the ice. You know, it's probably the end of the horse. I mean, it's good luck getting the horse back back there. And I'm sure it would have been a real traumatic deal. The story would have gone around quite a bit. Probably got distorted, you know, with every retelling. And, you know, yeah, I think every lake out there, as Jim points out, has a story about a horse in it. Um, yeah. Yeah, Dave, we we got a story about a, 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 a lake with a train in it. What's that one to the south of us? Mac and I went out there last year looking for it. There's a... Um, was it Madron? What is that lake? Dayton Lake. Oh, Dayton. Down there by Cass. Dayton Lake, yeah. There's a story about where the train tracks go right by the lake that supposedly a uh, steam engine, you know, apparently the rails weren't secure as they should have been. Uh, the bottom was kind of boggy. And uh steam engine rolled over and went went in the lake and, and was left there. And, you know, Mac had checked the story out many, many years ago. And we went out there, and uh, we ran the side scan, poking around. Problem is, it's only, you know, I don't know, four or five feet deep there in the water. Um, if a train had gone in, it probably would have gone, you know, into the muck and been long gone, because now we're talking like over 100 years now since it went in. Um, but 
you know, Mac pointed out that 100 years ago, that steam engine, even scrap value, would have had a tremendous value. There's no way they would have left that baby in there. And he was out there uh, with the probe many, many years ago looking for, looking for it, and he believes that he found uh, small hunks of metal down there with the probe, but nothing big enough to be a, you know, a steam engine. So. Full train. Yeah. So what dives you got coming up, Kevin? Oh, well, all of next week is going to be, um, you can see, down there at White Star. Um, after that, I've got a lot of stuff on the schedule. Um, we'll see what, we'll see what comes up. Um, might be diving. I'm sorry, go ahead. go ahead. You'll have enough hours in your rebreather to get certified next week, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the plan is, uh, long, long as weather cooperates, everything works out and all that, um, you know, I'll be a complete certified rebreather driver. Now, I'm not going to be a good one. <laughs> you know, uh, you're <laughs> starting all over from, from scratch on your point, seeing a lot of things there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, from what I understand, I'll come out of this, uh, you know, competent anyway, you know, good. ready to learn more and, and get more skills. Oh, so, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a little daunted by it. I've been, been up to my eyeballs the past few days here in, um, in book work. Um, Sorry, I couldn't join you guys the other night. Would like to come out, but um, missed, missed the club meeting. I, uh, I just got to focus on my on my, my studies here. And mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff I'm going through. I've got you know the the Paddy manual, and I've got the Hollis manuals, and everything else here. I'm just basically consuming and a bunch of online resources, and you know they're, they're pretty thorough in uh, the courses they put you on. So, so, so how, how much how much sorb did you buy? I mean, did, is it two eighty? gallon tubs enough or uh well apparently part of my course costs includes a uh a 44 a 44 pound uh orb, and i'll be i'll be going through four um scrubbers while i'm there so uh you know and i guess i'll have some left over because doing the math on it a keg is good for about seven and a half packs so Oh, good. I've got like like eight dives, and it's going to come out to be in close to ten hours. And uh, you know, I'm kind of wondering if I have enough thermals, and it's going to be entertaining. So, uh, I don't know, imagine the water's going to be real warm down there, but uh, should be a good time. So, look forward to hearing about it in a couple of weeks. Oh, uh, I'd, I'd say more about it. Just the, the guy giving me the training is uh, he, he he runs the other scuba po- podcast out there. So I'm not sure I'm going to talk about him on our podcast. So, <laughs> but yeah. Well, good. All right. So yeah, looking forward to it. A little, little, little daunted by it, but well, cool. For it. Well, they want you to understand all that stuff. So then there's a, there's a lot of math and science behind it, and um, it's a, you know we, we've all dealt with Bob Sweeney. He makes it look so easy. He really oh, does. does. Well, he just, uh, I mean, he was already rebreather diving before I got into diving, so that's all I've I've seen him. I think I've seen him do open circuit three times, and the rest of it has all been rebreather. But uh, yeah, but you, you were mentioning well, that. Keep, Go ahead. I'm still keeping some of the open circuit stuff. I'm going to keep the uh, my small tanks just to come play in the river. Um, I don't want to go through all the cleaning cycle and scrubber pack and everything and all that, you know, just to, you know, go out in the river for an hour. So the, the rebreather really shines when you're going deep or staying down for a long time or a combination of, uh, 
you know, as far as, you know, going out in the river, it's, it's a lot of work for, you know, a 45 minute river dive. So, but that, that the, the other podcast you're referring to was uh diver's sink, which is uh, hosted by Rich Sinowick, who's a good friend of the show. We, I chat with him many times throughout the year. So, uh, Okay. Certainly, if you're if you're into listening yep. to Scuba podcasts, you want to listen to his as well as ours. So we give a shout out to Rich and his family. He's got two beautiful young girls who are into that diving age. So uh, you know, if you if you can't convince people to be dive buddies, you can always create your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't quite sure the relationship with uh, Rich Sinowick and, and Scuba Obsessed there. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he's competition there, but I wasn't quite sure there. So. Yeah. Was, I'm kind of a you come to the podcast, you guys. Yeah, it's a, it's all one big happy family. So, well, it, when when you see Rich, shout out and say hi for us. We'll do, we'll do. Say I'll be there all next week with them. So, yeah, because uh, I, I, we need to get out and do some diving. In fact, uh, are are you going to go to White Star at all as part of that training? Yeah, it's it, it's all at White Star. Okay, yep. yeah, because that's one that's one I need to get there. I've been promising to go and visit them down there for years, and I just haven't been able to put the time together. So I uh, may have to mm-hmm. sneak down there. Well, certainly have to do that. And I understand well, we also... We'll be, all, we'll be there all the Oh, great. We'll be... But, but he's probably going to be busy. I'm not quite sure how much time he has, but, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, Jim, you've got some classes coming up at the dive shop pretty soon, don't you? Yeah, we're going to run um, some specialty classes. The... Middle of April, twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth. So, if anyone's interested in locally in some specialties, give us a call and we'll we'll get them set up. We get a very flexible trainer instructor, and he's out to accommodate whatever the students want. So, let us know what we can do, and we'll work to get it set up. Well, maybe you don't want to plug him, but I'm going to plug him. Dave Thomas is a hell of an instructor. Been in a few of his classes. He's a good guy, so he, he knows his stuff, and he works with you too. So, yep. And and people have been listening yeah, to the show. A good guy. I just I didn't want to make you know he's on tonight, so I didn't want to. It, it all goes to his head. <laughs> I mean, you just you're gonna hear. Yeah, I it say and... nice things when he's not on, and I tell the truth when he is on. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let it. We'll let it go to his head. Maybe, I mean, you'll have to. Yeah, and then Dave's talking about a podcast which I haven't I haven't heard yet, and I'm I'm actually searching for it now and not finding anything. But he says that uh, there's another podcast on scuba diving right out of Michigan uh, from somebody called James Mott, but uh, I'm not uh, able to find it. Yeah, Dave just corrected me. I said April. It's the uh, 12th, 13th, and 14th of May. Ah, middle of May. So. Okay. Well, good, but it's getting that time of year, so make sure you get your your gear all serviced, get your tanks vised and hydroed if they need be, because you will not want to miss out on diving this year. I'm I'm predicting this will be the best year for diving yet, and I say that every year, but it always seems to be true. Well, you know, the year is always what you make of it. It's a lot better diving than not diving. Oh, certainly. You know, and and so far, unless you're really crazy, your cell phone does not work. 30 feet underwater, so you're not going to get any calls. Somebody's not going to be checking. You don't have honeydew lists typically underwater. Well, but the the dive season is what you make of it, though. Um, you know, it's so often you come into it and you just, unless you plan it and make a point of putting those wrecks on your calendar, 
uh, you're not going to get there otherwise. And you know, it's it's a lot of work and some expense and some time to to do it, but man, they make some good memories. Yeah. Take and, some pictures while you're down there. And, and that's some good advice. If you if you're going to try and make it a great year for diving, you got to block out those weekends. Start doing it now because. Add up all the things you have to do. I mean, do you have a family get-togethers? Do you have weddings? Do you have uh, graduations you have to go to? Start blocking those out, and you're going to find out very quickly that the summer you really only are going to have five or six good weekends where you can get diving in. So you need to block those off now, and when uh, things come up, you say, no, I'm I'm diving. I can't do that. Oh, and keep in mind that weather's going to take out a number of those, too. So, you know... Weather's good, get out and go. It's like shipwreck hunting. You're never going to find a shipwreck if you don't get out on the water. You're not going to have a great day of diving if you don't get out on the water. So get out there and get wet. So so how many shipwrecks do you think we're going to find in Lake Michigan this year? Well, I don't know how many new ones we'll find, but I hope to find, you know, half a dozen to a dozen that we've seen before. I want to find them again and get on them. There's places on a lot of the wrecks that I haven't seen, and the wrecks change from year to year. So mm-hmm. uh, I want to get out and get wet. Looking forward to getting up north for a couple times, and I think we may end up booking a weekend. We had talked about booking a weekend over in Milwaukee mm-hmm. and booking a weekend up off uh, uh, Beaver Island. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was just Uh-oh. seeing that... Well, uh, Oh, uh, Ross Richardson was is is mentioning something about Beaver Islands. That might be a good dive spot for this season. Yep. Well, I promised the dive operator up there that I'd bring people up and we'd get wet. So I got to make I, that happen. I've, I've heard there are some wrecks up there. Are there any resources on finding the wrecks? Are it, I know it's not part of the preserves. So has anyone put any, any maps numbers out there to find these find these boats? I got a resource that'll work with us. Okay. So. He runs dive charters up there. Well, very good. Well, anybody have anything they want to plug before we move on? I was kind of looking forward to Jim's dive hack tonight. Gonna get oh, I'm sorry. Maybe? Boy, I, you could tell it's been a few weeks. So I, yeah. I, I jumped yeah, over the wreck of the week on the dive. dive hack. Well, I hadn't even thought about a good dive hack. But uh, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about flashlights tonight. You know, it used to be if you wanted a really good light, you had to spend $400 and get yourself a can light. Well, with LEDs and the brightness they put out compared to the power they draw now, you can get some hand LEDs that will outshine any of the old lights you used to be able to find. So, you know, not to say there's not good places and good reasons for the can lights if you're going to be out in the long, you know, need a light for a long time. You know, you need that strong battery backup, and you want a good light. Can lights are the way to go. But you know, we've got a we picked up a light in the shop that's about the size of, I guess, if you put two C batteries together, the whole size of this light, and it's twelve hundred lumens, in uh, a wide beam. So where you used to have that, you know, size of a mag light, that three D or three C mag light that we thought was great at 1,050 lumens with a spot. You know, I've got this light now. It's half the size of it, um, brighter, and a really wide beam. They call it video light, and I can see why, because there's no washout like you get with a spotlight. 
but uh, lights have really come down, and they're easy to mount. You can put them in a pocket, and you can do like I do and just strap it onto the strap of your BC, and, you know, it's it's a great investment, especially if you're going to be doing any night diving or if you're going to be deep or in areas where the light is limited. So we'll just make that the dive hack for tonight. You know, don't spend a lot of money, but spend your money wisely on a decent light. doesn't have to be the best, but just get a decent one. How many dive lights do you typically recommend? Well, they say one is none and two is too few. Uh, it depends what you're doing and where you're going. I mean, if you're doing cave diving, you know, I'm going to have two or three. If I'm doing shipwreck penetration, um, I'm probably going to have two. I'm carrying, you know, right now one to two lights on my rig, depending on where I'm going, how deep I'm going, and what I'm going to do. And part of it is for me to see, and the other part of it is for people to see and find me. I know there have been times when I've been diving Bob Sweeney that we've gotten separated, and next thing you know, through the haze comes this underwater sun. And it's like, well, I know where Bob is. I can find him now. And so you hook back up with your buddy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's it, it's as much to be seen as it is to see. Mm-hmm. Very good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, oh, DIR, if you used to have two, rigs, two lights on your rig. Um, and basically, you know, the backup light means once you're done the backup light, you're done. So... Yeah, like the pony bottle. I mean, when you go to the pony or when you go to the backup of anything, you know, that's the end of your dive. If you start depending on the backup to be your primary, you're asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just once you're on the backup, that's, you know, the backup is to get you out of there. So, Well, Kevin, do you have a shipwreck of the week? Yes, I do, actually. A little bit of reading up on this wreck. I'm going to talk about the uh, three brothers. And I'm starting off with pointing our listeners to uh, Michigan Preserves, the Manitou Preserve. And the uh, Three Brothers is a rather recent find. Uh, this is one in uh, 1996 off of, I believe it's South Manitou Island. Let's see which one of the Manitous was it. Yes, on South Manitou Island, there was a uh, sandbar, which ended up being eroded over the wintertime and come spring. People noticed, hey, there's a boat down there. And it was investigated, and uh, not only was there a boat there, but it still had the paint on it. And it's very shallow water. I want to say it's, uh, looking here at the website, we're looking at uh, 5 to 45 feet of water. So I imagine the 5 is the high part, and it's sitting 45 feet of water, roughly. Um, This is not one that I've seen yet, but I think I'll be seeing it fairly soon, Um, possibly Memorial Day weekend coming up. But uh, according to uh, Michigan Preserves, their blurb on it is first launched in 1888 as the Mary Dern. The Three Brothers was a 162-foot-long steamer. She beached on September 27, 1911, on the lee side of South Manitou Island. She was abandoned to the weather, and the combination of winter storms and shifting sand quickly buried her. In 1996, the weather shifted the sands, revealing a nearly perfect shipwreck, easily accessible from the beach. While their bow is broken, the stern is intact, the hull is filled with sand, 
The site is a, is a very desirable novice site with depths from 5 to 45 feet. If you understand, this is one that you, you don't even fully to be a diver. You can snorkel this one from the beach. And it's a very intact shipwreck here. I'm going to share another link here in the chat room here. This is from uh, shipwreck.com. Shipwreck is hyphenated, uh, but Shipwreck Projects, Three Brothers. Put this in the chat so you guys get a little more pictures on this one here. Um, you know, much as I like uh, Michigan Preserves, they don't tend to have an awful lot of pictures on their, on their page. And this link is kind of being a pain about wanting to copy over here. But I'll see what I can do here. Come on. No, it's not going to copy, I'm afraid. But uh, anyway, um, really cool 1880 shipwreck, which you can snorkel, very much intact. This is one, though, which uh, if you're going to see it, the sooner you see it, the better, because when all the sand was eroded away by the storms, it still left a hole full of sand. And they're kind of concerned that the weight of the sand is going to break it open at some point. So if you want to see it, get up there soon and do it. So there you have it. Three brothers, check it out if you can. Wow, it looks like a beautiful wreck to go and get a dive on. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not sure if it still has it today, but in 1996, like I say, it still had the paint on it. So it would be a really cool one to get to. Excellent. I'm trying to get you know, for this. This link is just goofy. It does not want to copy. So what I'm doing wrong here. But Where are you trying to copy it to? Uh, the chat room here. Oh, that. Yeah, uh, Dave pasted it in chat room. Okay. Oh, yep, you got it there. Okay. Yeah, you guys got it there. Yeah. Cool. Well, excellent. But, yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to see it Labor Day weekend. So sometime right around there. I'm not quite sure. I've, I've got some invites to go dive up in Traverse City area. So take them up on that. Well, I'd like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air another year. If you're into hunting, fishing, or the great outdoors, you want to tune in to WRVO Radio, you can find a link to their website and their programs on the bottom of our website. Go to www.scubaobsessed.com and look all the way down to the bottom. Uh, we also would like to thank all of our Patreon supporters. If you like the show and think it's at least worth a dollar, why not? Head on over to our Patreon account. Find links to that also from our website. Uh, click on the banner ads and you know give us a dollar or so, three dollars or more. We'll get you access to the show notes before the show. And I've actually been pretty good since we started doing that. So they're they're there each time. And then we have two uh, donors who are at the dive nitrox level, which gets them a shout out each week. Uh, first one is. Vanessa Homiak, uh, thank you. And then as I've been trying to stall, I'm trying to get to my list to give the shout-out to our other Patreon supporter. You can tell I've been on vacation. I call it, it's not really vacation, but not here because it's taken me a little bit. So, And we have Andrew Hughes, our other Dive Nitrox supporter. Certainly appreciate it, along with all our other supporters. And we can't do it without you. It's uh, We are listener-supported. You don't see any significant advertising. We do throw the Google ads up on the website. But you know what? I don't think I've ever made a penny off those, to be honest. Someday. I think we're probably at about $98. Someday they'll they'll finally pay out. <laughs> they'll be like, because they don't pay out till $100. So it's like you get the 99.99. I'll have to take a look. But it seems like you've been sitting at 60 to $80 forever and ever. And uh, see, it seems like we're forgetting something. But Are we going to plug something and then you joke? Yeah. 
I, I, uh, do you have something to plug, Kevin? Oh, just the usual. <laughs> uh, don't forget to support your local dive shops. Uh, you know, we always like to get that bargain on the line, but uh, those bargains online aren't going to aren't going to fill your scuba tanks. Be sure to use your local library as much as you possibly can. Vote for them in your local millages. There's all kinds of good information which you just can't find online, and you're not going to find it in the libraries. And if we lose those resources, that's a tragedy of all that lost information there. So support your local libraries, please. And how about you, Jimmy? Anybody you want to plug or anything? Well, anybody. I've got to make sure my <laughs> wife's not watching or listening to the podcast. But anything? No, I think I'll, I'll pass tonight. Okay. So I think we are to that time of the show. And are you guys ready? Let's do it. Yes. An American couple touring Canada gets lost and finally decide to ask for help in hopes of getting their orientation. They pull up the guy, lower the endo, and ask from the, within the car, excuse me, could you tell me where we are? The guy gives a toothy smile and says cheerfully, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. The driver turns to his wife and says, now we are hopelessly lost. They don't even speak English here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Canada could be a little rough. There you go. <laughs> so, on that note, go out there and get wet. And have a good time doing it. And for Mac, stay safe. And remember... No Canadians were harmed in the making of tonight's broadcast. We insulted a few, but we didn't harm any. Broadcast ain't over yet. been completed all right now it's over with yeah. <laughs> okay yeah uh rod had uh something he, he listened to the podcast that it said uh following the the show jim uh mentioned that now that i li- live in new zealand and therefore hanging upside down the earth and the other side of the world said here's a true story you can share with him when we first came to new zealand in 2002 we purchased an old television an old-fashioned crt lcd plasma and leds weren't available here yet Two years later, we decided to move home to Ireland. I checked with the Sony dealer if it would still work in the U.K., and he assured me that it would. On arriving in Ireland, I tried the TV and found it had large areas of spectral colors around the picture, making it impossible to view. I went to the Sony dealer and advised that we need a new CRT tube, which would have the same cost as replacing a TV. He said I could take it to their service technician and see what he would recommend. I duly loaded the 58-kilogram, 128-pound TV into my car, and left it with him. A, later, a week later, he phoned me to ask me if I could call round to his workshop. On arrival, he was very amused and asked me to confirm the TV had been purchased in the bottom of the world in New Zealand. I said yes, and he related that when he removed the back cover, he noticed that all the labels were upside down, so he had to turn the whole TV upside down. <laughs> and presto, the picture was worked perfectly that way. But of course it was upside down. He phoned all the other TV service technicians he knew to relate the tale. Most of them didn't believe him until he showed it to them. It turns out the magnets in a CRT tube were aligned for New Zealand and Australia at the bottom of the Southern Hemisphere. He moved them and reset them to the correct position in the UK, and it worked fine. When we next <laughs> moved... 
<laughs> Which, having a little bit of background in electronics, I, I, it makes sense because uh, on some of the CRTs, especially when they got bigger, they would put magnets on them to help uh, compensate. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it would make sense it would be a little different. He said when we moved back to New Zealand next year, we had to have them reset on arrival. Just in case we ever had to move back, the old TV is gone to replace the 65-inch uh, UHD TV. <laughs> Could you imagine wow. being that service guy? You open it up and all the labels are upside down. <laughs> so thanks, Rod. Another good story. Good story. <laughs>